Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Christ is everything, right? Christ is the reason for everything in our lives, not just the Christmas season. Christ is to be the center of everything that we do, all that we say, and all that we aspire to do. He is more important than everything all the time, right? And I I love actually, um, I don't know what you think about Christmas falling on Sunday. Maybe you find it uh, inconvenient and uh, maybe just kind of messes up your normal Christmas tradition and routine. Um, Honestly, I love it. I, I, I really like it. One, because we actually get to give the holiday to him uh, in the morning and, and, and worship him on Christmas morning. But also, I think it's kind of a test, and I, I like that. Tells whether we actually mean it when we say he's the center of Christmas, right? I saw a Facebook post, I don't know if it was a picture or what, but it said, Canceling church to celebrate Christmas is like ignoring your spouse for your anniversary, right? And so, like, yeah, that's that's true. And I, I heard this. I heard a pastor friend of mine, Isaiah. He's come and preached here before. Um, say last week, and I was like, oh, that's good. I'm going to use that. He said, if if you want to know what idols you might have in your life, just look at what you're going to skip the weekly gathering for. Christmas isn't just about Christ and that we say that. No, he, he actually is the center of Christmas and he's supposed to be the center of our celebrations. And so I love that Christmas actually falls on uh, a Sunday and we get to show him that really we're, we're willing to throw away any of our normal routines and traditions that you might be worshipped and glorified this Christmas. And so uh, when Christmas does come, we here at Emmanuel Baptist Church choose to celebrate that Jesus Christ came as a baby to grow up and die for the sins of the world. And we're going we're gonna to celebrate that next week, and we're going to celebrate that today and talk about another reason why Christmas. Why did Jesus come? And today I want to say why Christmas, because Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's why Christmas, because Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. He told us actually, oddly enough, he told us that before he actually came, he told us why he came. Like, well, how is that possible? Well, through the prophet Isaiah, he actually came, he actually told us why he came before he actually did come. Isaiah chapter 61 says, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of another, says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's important. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. 
And he said this before he actually came and did it. Isaiah is speaking on behalf of another person, not himself. He's speaking on behalf of another. And Israel is actually not sure who exactly that is. It's a masked person. It's a, an, an unveiled person. They're unknown. And we only know him as the title, the servant of the Lord. Or the suffering servant. The one that Isaiah 53 talks about that will be crushed for the transgressions of his people. We just know him as the servant of the Lord. But Israel's wondering, well, who is he? When, when will he come? When will, when, when will the veil be removed? And when will the mask be taken off? Who is this suffering servant that the Lord has anointed to proclaim liberty to captives and to bring the Lord's favor? I think uh, Aaron texted me, uh, I can't remember which day this was, a few days ago. Aaron Mosier texted me a few days ago and he said, did you leave something on my doorstep? Because uh, I have no idea who did this. And I don't even know if he still knows who did it. But uh, I was like, no, man, I'd love to take credit for it, but no, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't leave anything on your doorstep. But he's like, who, who did this? Who left this here on my doorstep? And I think that's a little bit like how Israel was, who is this servant of the Lord that he's going to bring? I mean, that's great. He's going to bring the, the year of the Lord's favor, and he's going to break the captivity of his people. It's amazing, but who do, we, who do we turn to and expect that from? And who do we owe a thank you to? Who is this? Amen. And so, they don't know for 700 years, Israel doesn't know who this unknown gift giver was or when he would even come. And yet, 700 years later, Jesus reveals himself as that very person reading this in front of all of Israel. You can see that in Luke chapter 4, and that's going to be the primary passage I'll be looking at tonight, or today, sorry. Luke 4, verse 16, it says, And when he came to Nazareth, this is 700 years after Isaiah. Notice that. Talking about Jesus, it said, When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue to the, on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and receiving sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And I think the, the next verse here, if we're looking at it, and he began to say to them, today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the one who the mask has been taken off. He's the suffering servant of the Lord from Isaiah 53 who will one day be crushed for His people. He's the one who brings the year of the Lord's favor. And so guys, let me just be clear and blunt. My goal in, in this, our time together, what time we have left, my goal for you is that you would be excited about that. 
that, that, that you would get excited and that you would be moved by Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, that He came to set captives free and to proclaim liberty to the captives. But I know you can't really get excited about that if, a couple things. Firstly, if you don't know what in the world he's talking about. <laughs> How can you get excited about something that you don't actually really understand what it even means? And then secondly, how could you get excited about it if it doesn't apply to you, if you're not actually poor? Or if you're not actually enslaved? What does it matter if he comes to bring good news to the poor if you're not actually poor? What good is it if he brings liberty to captives if you're not actually captive? So I want this text to mean something to you. I want it to be exciting for you and, and, and move something in you. But first, we have to know what he's talking about and if it even applies to you for those things to happen. And so let's, let's do that. Firstly, I realize that you can't be excited about this unless you know what he's even talking about. And what is this year of favor, this year of Jubilee. I think about when um, I went to, it was Christmas two years ago. It will be drilled into my brain, I think, until the day I die. I was, um, maybe I've even told this story before. We're meeting with all of my extended family, and I'm really bad with names, remembering people, and I, uh, going around shaking hands with people. And this one woman comes up to me. She says, oh, Isaac, it's so good to see you. Right? What, what is your natural response when they say that? Oh, it's so good to see you too. No clue who she is. Right? There's absolutely no idea. Like, I think for all I know, she's just a friend of a friend that came and joined our family Christmas. And I'm like, oh, it's, so, it's been so long. Hasn't it been so long? You know, give me a hug. And you just give her a hug. And, and um, I think she caught on because she said, Isaac, what's my name? <laughs> Called me out. And I acted all excited to see her. And I'm like, oh, stop. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you. And she goes, Merry Christmas. But seriously, what's my name? I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> it is just awesome to see you, right? And I'm just like trying to fake it till you make it. And uh, I, I finally was like, hey, Jake, come on over here and see. Oh, isn't it so good to see her? And just trying to get my brother to come over and just mention her name. And, and um, no one did. And finally I said, okay, you're right. I, I'm sorry. I don't know your name. <laughs> what's your name? And she goes, I'm Aunt Pat, uh, your aunt and great aunt. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, Aunt Pat. It's good to see you again. And so I don't want you to fake it till you make it with Luke 4 and say like, oh, that's so great. Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What does that mean? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like I want it actually to mean something, but you have to know what in the world is he talking about for you to be excited about it. And so you don't have to fake it till you make it. You don't have to fake your excitement about what Jesus says here. Leviticus 25 tells us actually what is the year of the Lord's favor? Let me give a little backstory before we get to the Leviticus passage. Every seventh year, there's this year of rest where the fields are rested. No fields are worked on that seventh year. No fields are worked. No vineyards are pruned. Nothing's touched 
for that year of rest. And, and, and that's every seven years. And then on the seventh, seventh year, so you got the seventh year, then the 14th year is the second, seventh year. When you hit the seventh, seventh year, it's year 49, after that, you're 50. That's the year of the Lord's favor. And it was a big year for Israel. Leviticus 25 verse 10 actually tells us a little bit about that. It says, Leviticus 25 verse 10, I think. That's okay. That's okay. It tells us about the year of the Lord. Let me go to it real quick. Leviticus 25 verse 10. All right. Leviticus 25 verse 10. It says, And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. So this is the 50th year. And what happens on this 50th year, this is a big deal because it gives us context of what Jesus is doing here. On this 50th year, people are freed from any kind of bondage or any kind of slavery which they find themselves in. So I'll give you an example. If they are sold, they sell themselves into hired work to provide for their family. Say they just can't provide for their family, so they just sell themselves as basically a hired worker, a servant, a slave. On this 50th year, they're set free. And even if you're a non-Israelite, if you're a slave to somebody, you can earn your freedom by various ways. Your, your brother can buy your freedom or your parents can buy your freedom. But if somebody can't buy your freedom, well, at least every 50 years, all of them are set free. It's freedom across all the land and everybody knows it, that the 50th year, the year of the Lord's favor, bondage all across the nation is set free. And Jesus prophesied in Luke chapter 4, I'm going to bring the best year of the Lord's favor that Israel has ever seen. I truly will proclaim liberty for the captives. And so that's what he's saying. But even then, even then, knowing that, I know you might still say, whatever. Doesn't mean anything to me. Because I know this isn't exciting for anybody that isn't poor or isn't a captive. So does Jesus really come to bring the year of the Lord's favor for you? Does it apply to you? Are you poor? Are you enslaved? Does it matter what he says in Luke 4 for you? I'm going to say something that might take you back and might make you have to think about it for a second. I'd say that if you are rich, and I'm not talking financially, I'm talking spiritually, if you see yourself as rich in and of yourself, Jesus has nothing to offer you. Jesus has nothing to offer you. If you see yourself already as spiritually rich. Actually, if we turn to Mark chapter 2, we can see that Jesus says some very bold words. Mark 2, verse 17. He says, when, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, 
but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now just look at that verse with me for a second. If you think you're spiritually healthy on your own, Jesus has nothing to offer you. If you think you're spiritually healthy on your own, and I'm doing pretty good, Jesus has nothing to offer you. He didn't come to heal the healthy. He came to heal the sick. And if you think that you're righteous on your own, that you're good enough, Jesus has nothing to offer you. He came to call sinners. And so if we look at this passage in Luke 4, where he proclaims liberty to the captives, Jesus didn't bring good news to the rich, the spiritually rich, or freedom for those who are already free. He came to proclaim liberty to the enslaved. So let me just throw it out there for you to chew on, okay? Without Jesus... All of us, myself included, yourself. I don't even know everybody in this room, but I do know this. Without Jesus, you are poor and you are enslaved. And therefore, this text is good news for you. The year of the Lord's favor applies to you. And it is a good thing that he brings the year of the Lord's favor in your life. Even if you're financially well off, And that might be you this morning. Even if you're financially well-off, you are spiritually bankrupt without Christ. Revelation 3, if we've got it. Jesus says, you say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. But realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. You see, even if you're financially well off, you're poor without Jesus. You have nothing without him. You're bankrupt without Jesus. And even if you live a very carefree life, very liberal life, a life that you've got no worries, you're enslaved if you don't have Jesus. You're bound up. You're captive. You're weighed down by chains if you don't have Jesus. Titus chapter 3 talks about, he says, for we ourselves, this is Paul writing, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, and slaves to the various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You see, without Jesus, even if you're living a carefree life, you're enslaved to your own passions and your own desires. So this is good news. I just, I hope everyone hearing this right now, that you would see your poverty, your spiritual poverty, that you would see your enslavement, You would acknowledge it. You would tremble because of it. And you would long for a solution to it. That's only the work of the Holy Spirit. I pray that He's working in your heart right now. That you would long to be set free if you don't have Christ.
So what is it exactly that Jesus does in bringing the year of the Lord's favor to you who need the year of the Lord's favor? Let's go back to Luke 4 and we're going to be in there most of our time now. Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. He brings liberty. He brings liberty to you. He says, The Spirit of the Lord has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and a recovering of the sight of the blind. You set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So He brings liberty to you who need it. To me who needs it. Freedom from two specific things. And that's what I want to really focus on with the rest of our time. What does He bring freedom from? Well, firstly, freedom from captivity. And then we'll get to it in just a little bit. Freedom from oppression. It's the end of 18. Firstly, let's, let's look at what does it mean that he's going to bring freedom to your captivity? Well, without Christ, you are naturally a captive, enslaved. And you might not feel it. You might feel like, man, I feel great. My life is really smooth sailing. I've got nothing holding me back. But the Word of God says that you are enslaved to the law of perfection. You are a slave to it. We can see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Paul writes, now before faith comes, so before you're a Christian, and that might be you today, before faith comes, we were held captive under the law and imprisoned until the coming of faith would be released. And once you do step into this relationship with Jesus, everything changes and you're no longer held captive. We actually see that in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. He says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So without Jesus, we are captive and captive to the law. My dad was a, uh, I'll give you a little bit of analogy what this might look like being held captive to the Word of God, or to the law. My dad was my uh, basketball coach growing up. And uh, if you know what that's like, having your parent be your coach, absolutely miserable. And my dad was my coach. And uh, he would always make me stay after practice to work on my layups. It's horrible at layups. And uh, so he, he just said, hey, keep working on it. Keep working on it. After practice, ever, after everyone leaves, it gets dark. I'm still doing layups. And he's like, you're not done. Keep going. And uh, shows him how, how much that helped. Horrible at layups still to this day. And, uh, but really the, the mentality there was try, 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 and try again. And at one day you, you'll succeed and you'll get it. You can do this. Let me tell you, it's, it's not the case when it comes to beating sin. In your own power, you can try and try and try and try and try again, and you can't. Let me not be my dad for you. And let me just tell you, you can't. You are held captive, and as you look at the Word, the standard of God, all you will see is you don't measure up, you don't add up, you're not enough. 
and your own strength. The, the, the law of God, the standard that he sets, is there for us to see how imperfect we are. That's, that's what it does. It shows us that we are not good enough, that we can't on our own. And so we are enslaved to imperfection. Never measuring up. Never adding up. No matter how long you stay after practice. In your own strength, you can't. Let me do a test. Something that uh, Ray Comfort does on the streets, if you know Ray Comfort. It's this Ten Commandments test. Okay? You ask a few questions. If you are so bold enough, maybe raise your hand. Have you ever lied? Okay. Okay. Yeah, a few of you guys need to be raising your hands right now. <laughs> Half truth. Yeah. Okay. The Bible says that you're a liar. Have you ever taken something without permission? Anything? Even as a kid? Yeah. yeah the, the Bible would say that you're a thief. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? The Bible would say you are a blasphemer. Have you ever felt hate in your heart? I have. Jesus says that when you hate somebody, you've already committed murder. So you're a murderer. Have you ever lusted after another person? Uh, there's a few people that need to go back to that first question about lying, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus says that if you've lusted in your heart towards another person, you've already committed adultery. And so this thing that Ray Comfort does is he, he says, okay, so according to your own testimony, you are a lying, thieving, blasphemous, murdering adulterer. And the word is very clear that none of these will enter the kingdom of God on the day of judgment. According to your own testimony. And here's the biggest problem. You can't avoid this in your own nature. You're captive to it. It's like you're stuck in the muck and the mire. And you can't get out no matter how hard you try to walk. You can't very nature. And maybe this doesn't matter to you. You're like, I'm fine with that being my nature and that being my condition. Maybe this doesn't matter to you, but let me tell you, it does matter for you. Whether you see it or not, it's there. And it's a massive problem. So I just pray everyone here sees their utter imperfection and your captivity to imperfection because that lets us know that we need a Savior. And it prompts us to run to the cross of him who died for you. Christ came to break these chains that you wouldn't need to be perfect anymore. No longer slave to the chains of the law that you can't ever live up to. I loved an analogy used in Sunday school by Megan that it's like walking before God on the day of judgment with your resume. And Christ takes your resume and swaps it with his and that's, that's what happens when he died on the cross. If you don't know the gospel story, let me tell you just very quickly what happens in the gospel that Jesus would die on the cross for you. And what happens in that very practically is something called the great exchange. 
that in the great exchange, God now sees Jesus as you are, and he sees you as he would see Jesus. It's the great exchange. We are sinful, deserving of wrath. And so in seeing Jesus in that light, Jesus would die on the cross for sins that he never committed. And now you hold Christ's resume. Jesus is perfect, and so now in the sight of God, you are perfect when you put your faith in him. Jesus is holy, and so now we are seen as holy. Jesus is acceptable, and so now we are seen as acceptable. Jesus is glorious, and so now we are seen in the sight of God. Though we're sinful, we're seen as glorious. No longer enchained by the chains of perfection. Now we're just able to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to Him as worship. Jesus breaks the chains, your captivity under the law, but secondly, He brings you freedom from not just your captivity. If we go back to Luke chapter 4, He says, the Spirit of the Lord has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and that's you. And they're recovering in the sight of the blind. But secondly, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You see, you need liberty. You need freedom in the power of Christ, not only from your captivity under the law, but also your oppression in this world. You're oppressed. We all are oppressed by the evil in this world and the one who rules it. Acts chapter 10 makes it very clear. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You see, Jesus came to set you free from the oppression that this world imposes on you. I don't know if I really have to convince anybody in this room that this is true, that you're oppressed. We all feel the pains of this world, right? And there's no buying our way out of the pain of this world. If you throw enough money at it, it won't solve that problem, right? If your spouse gets sick, if you get sick, child gets in a car wreck, house burns down, your loved one takes their own life, you lose a baby in the womb, You feel the heartbreak of a relationship severed, whether marital or dating. We all feel just the oppression that this world brings on us and the pain that it imposes on us. And we walk through life knowing that reality. All of us know the problem of evil in this world. And Christ came to bring freedom from that oppression and all the pain in this world. He did that in His first advent, His first arrival, His first coming. In a very real way, yet in a very incomplete way. What I mean by that is he came to to bring healing. To help those who are sick and oppressed. Matthew 9 talks about this. Matthew 9 verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. 
And he still does this, right? He, he still does this. That's why we pray at the altar. That's why we have prayer services every month. The last Sunday evening of every month. It's because Jesus does bring healing. He does restore marriages. And He does take away oppression in this life. And yet for now, it's incomplete. Right? The sickness can come back. And the marriage can break again. But that's what He brought with Him in His first advent. And yet He also brings freedom from oppression completely in His second advent yet to come. That's why we all long for the day that Jesus will set everything new, giving us a new heaven and a new earth. It's very real. I just want you to know that that's not a fake concept. It's not just in books. It's a real thing that will really happen. And when it does, all will be healed. All will be restored. All oppression will be taken away. All tears will be wiped away. All hardships will be removed. What an crazy concept that is. But only in the power of Christ for those who give their lives to Christ. Christ came to proclaim liberty, freedom for those who are captive to imperfection and those who are, are oppressed to the pains of this world. He says, I have came to set you free. I've come to give you freedom. So how do we respond to this good news? Well, if you're in Christ, you thank God with every breath you have, with every action you make, with every word you speak, with every thought you think, to the best of our abilities. Let's thank God for the freedom we have in Him. And secondly, let's pray in the name of Jesus that he would continue to do this work of bringing freedom from captivity and oppression in the lives of his people. Let's pray that he would keep doing that because he does do that. In our own lives, in our friends' lives, our families' lives, in the lives of people in Bethany and around our nation, around the world, let's celebrate that he's already given it to us and let's pray to the end that he would give it to more people. But what can I say to the person who doesn't walk with Jesus right now? Who doesn't have that freedom? It's two things. If I've, even if I've never met you before, maybe you just slipped in, you're just sitting in the service. I know some things about you. I know some things about you. Even if I've never met you, I know these things are true. Without Christ, you are spiritually poor. You have nothing fit to offer to a king. The Bible says your best deeds are filthy rags. You are poor. And as a poor person, you are slave to never being good enough. And you are constantly oppressed by the things in this world. I know that about you. But I also know some things about God. He doesn't leave his people in captivity. And he doesn't leave his people in oppression. He came 2,000 years ago to bring the best 
year of the Lord's favor, freedom across the lands to people like you. It's still being offered to those who give their lives to him. Even today, 2,000 years later, you've never given your heart to Christ. Turn to him to be your freedom and experience the freedom in Christ. I encourage you to make today that day. Whether in your pew or there's going to be people up here praying, if you need to pray with anyone, please come up here and don't leave without doing that. But the rest of us, may we thank God that he brought freedom to us who would need it because we were oppressed and we were captive, but in Christ we are set free. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 